listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love, your host. Thanks for joining me today. Our topic today is a little bit different. We're talking about performance, and we have an expert on performance. His name is Patrick Dossett. Patrick Dossett is a Naval Academy graduate, a former U.S. Navy SEAL that's working with a company called Made For. It's a program that harnesses the proven power of neuroscience, and it helps to elevate professionals' mental and physical baselines while cultivating a mindset that allows them to achieve everything that they were truly made for. I think you're going to find a lot of great wisdom from Patrick when he talks about how we can perform at a peak level. Make sure you connect with him on LinkedIn and visit the links that we put on the show notes. And if you have any other suggestions of other speakers, other authors, and those people that you think would be really good for this show, please let me know. Uh, Patrick's someone that was referred to me, so I really appreciate that referral. And if you get a chance after you listen to his show, if you could do him and me a favor, go to Apple iTunes and write a nice five-star review. If there's something that Patrick said, mention him by name. I know he'll really appreciate that. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening, and I hope you get some great ideas from my interview with Patrick today. This is Scott Love, and you're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. My guest today is Patrick Dossett. Patrick, thanks for joining me on the show today. Great to be here, Scott. Now, this is great. I don't get other Naval Academy grads. We both went to the same school, so I appreciate what you've done. And I really want to hear more about your experiences working as a Navy SEAL. But as you know, the listeners to our show, they are people that live and work in a very high level. These are high-performing rainmakers. These are people that you read about in the Wall Street Journal. They're very successful, and they're working in an area where there's a lot of peak potential, where they have to perform at that level. And so I'm kind of curious from your work, and I want to hear more about what you've done, but what were some of the biggest insights in working with people that you think helps them to really live and work at a peak level? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think when we think about performance, human performance, oftentimes we are focused on external metrics of success. So we're we're getting we're hiring the person we want to hire or we're closing the quarter out in the way we want to close it out or we're achieving a mission set. But oftentimes I think that we fail to recognize that optimization comes at a cost. So we can get really good at one thing, but that that sometimes can lead to poor performance elsewhere. And if we're not careful, if we're not attuned to how we're serving maybe the whole person or, or everything that we need to be doing for ourselves, then at some point that that optimization will break us. Uh, right. And then we start performing beneath our, you know, our full potential. And that's something that you read about a lot within the media, the legal media and other business media, especially that people burn out, the families suffer, things like that. And one thing that I heard you say in a different podcast, you talked about what it took to go through, and what did you call it, the Navy SEAL boot camp? I can't remember what you call it again. Yeah, it's called Bud's Basic Underwater Demolition School. But wasn't there another name you gave it when you go through that? Well, there's a phase in Bud's called Hell Week, which is right. maybe the hardest part of, of SEAL training. It's a five and a half days. You stay awake the entire time. You're cold and wet, constantly running from one physical evolution to the next. And so that's where you tend to lose most people. So when you went through that, what were the attributes of those people that performed at a high level and made it through Hell Week? 
Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. You know, we started SEAL training with 220 people. We got into Hell Week, five weeks into training with 150. We came out with 36 and that class went on to graduate 17 out of that original 220. And Hell Week is, is one of these things that everyone has everything they need to be successful. But when you get to the end of it and you look around and you see right, these 17 people standing around, they're rather unremarkable looking. There's nothing about them that you would say, hey, this person was definitely going to make it or you know, this person looked the part. And in fact, all of the biggest, fastest, strongest people were all some of the first to quit. And so it it just plays up the important role that that mindset comes into performance. And when you start to unpack, well, what's going on with those people that were there at the end? I think there are a couple of things that they really leveraged and lean into that allowed them to be successful. The first, and I think everyone would identify with this, is just this ability to move the finish line to a point where it feels manageable, mm-hmm. that you feel confident that you can get to it, and that you're incentivized to move towards it. So when you start Hell Week, the first part of it is a little bit of a shock and awe phase, and people are running around, and there's lots of loud noises going off. And, and in the first five minutes, you know you can only get so cold, so wet, so tired, but you have a ton of people quit. And these are people that have have sacrificed a great deal to get to that point, but they quit because they're looking at oh, wow, I've started this thing. It's going to be five and a half days. I'm already cold and tired and wet. And there's no way that I can tackle the enormity of this thing all at once. And so for them, it causes them to seize up and they ring the mm-hmm. bell and they're done. But those people that are successful really get attuned to, hey, let me focus on what's within my control or focus on where I think I can make it next. Sometimes that's, I can make it through the day. Sometimes I can make it to the next meal. And other times it's, hey, I can look up 50 feet and I'm pretty sure I can make it the next 50 feet. And once I get there, I'll reassess. So this recognition that you control that finish line, it sounds so simple, but I think it's applicable. It doesn't matter if it's in SEAL training or business or wherever you may may find yourself. I've got three kids all under three. I use this technique all the time and it's powerful. What have you seen? Let me ask you this. What have you yeah. seen examples of people in business using that? And what do you call that again? Reframing? Just this, this ability to, to move the horizon or to move that finish line to a place that feels manageable and that you can be confident in pursuing. And, you know, so I have a, I have a startup. I've been, I've been running this, this company now for building and running this company now for going on five years. If I had to look out sometimes over the course of next year, how, how are we going to be in business a year from now? I would be paralyzed to the point of being ineffective. And right. so again, I have to, not only for myself, but also for my team and for, you know, for the partners that we work with, be able to frame this in such a way that, hey, this is what we're tackling now and let's focus on this. That's great. That's great. And what were some of the other tools, I guess, if you call them mental tools that you yeah. used that so you I found- think- yeah, I think I think there's two other really important ones. One is this this idea of when things get really really hard or when you feel that your pain and your suffering and whatever you're having to deal with is too much, there are really two places that you can direct your attention. You can choose to direct your attention inside and again focus on the discomfort that you're feeling and that is probably not going to serve you very well. The other option is to focus your attention on something outside of yourself. And what we like to do in the teams is focus on our teammates. You know, who else am I in this boat crew with? Who else am I going through this evolution with? And are there ways that I can tend to those people and their needs? So if someone's having a hard time, can I give them a word of encouragement? Can I Mm. actually physically lift them up? What can I do to be in service of someone else? The great thing about that is, is in doing it, you can no longer focus on your own pain and suffering. So you're you're actually 
putting all of your attention on someone else. So you don't feel your, your pain gets lessened. But the second part of it is you start to get the reverberating effects of what does it feel like to serve someone else, right? They say, thank you. They lift you up and you get a little bit of this emotional contagion. Now, all of a sudden you've you've increased your capacity to handle whatever challenges coming down your way. So I think that's a real critical component as, as well, this shifting your focus towards others when you feel like your pain is uh, or, or your challenges are unbearable or too much. That's very inspiring also. Do you think it has an effect on other people then to also want to serve others? Is that what you've seen? No question. Whether you know you want to focus on at the boat crew level of six people under a boat going through hell week together, or you want to focus on the troop level and a team, or you want to focus inside a business and organization. When the individuals are focused on how can I be in service not only to the mission but to each other, now all of a sudden you've created an environment of optimal performance where everyone can be performing at the highest level and moving as fast and effective towards the end state that you're going for. That's great. And and do you call these mental tools? What exactly do you call them when you talk to people about them? I think this very much maps to maps to mindset. So recognizing that, Hey, we all have these, these physical attributes. So you some people run faster, some are stronger, some are better swimmers, but the physicality of the physical attributes that we have or our innate talents are only going to get us so far. And so you have to go somewhere else. You have to rely on the mental tools and the mindset that you've cultivated to help you navigate what comes your way. And again, I think this is applicable, not just in SEAL training, but in any challenge that you face. Yeah. So the third one that I think, you know, the SEAL, also, I, I would say that maybe most SEALs wouldn't use this language. I won't speak for most SEALs, but I'll say I haven't heard many use this language, but I think the mindset of gratitude is plays an important role when you're going through training. And oftentimes when we hear of gratitude, we think, all right, Hallmark cards and holidays, and it's a little bit softer. And what I'm talking about is not that. What I'm talking about is, can you cultivate an orientation to recognize and celebrate the good no matter what's coming down the pipe, no matter what you're faced with. And so that means that even under the worst of circumstances, can you find a way to reframe that moment and find the silver lining in it? And so, you know, there's a story that I like to, I like to tell from my time in training and the instructors use this practice called surf torture where everyone locks arm in arm and you walk out into the surf and you lay down and you get really cold and wet. You just play this game over and over and over again. And it, it gets to be pretty insufferable. And I remember distinctly a couple of days into hell week, we were locked arm in arm and we we're walking out in the surf and my buddy Garrett kind of bumped me. He said, he said, yo, Patty, I said, what's up, Garrett? He said, he said, these instructors are idiots. He said, they think they can make us colder. And right there, you know, he took a moment where we could have gone inside and could have been suffering and he made it, he found some levity, levity in it and, right. and made it funny. The next day, doing in the same very, same situation, locked arm in arm, walking out in the surf and in the background, the bells are ringing nonstop. And Garrett looks at me, says, yo, Patty, I said, what's up, Garrett? He said, I was wrong. <laughs> and again, right there, it's just like, you know, can you find a way to figure out what is good or what's funny or what can you take from a situation so that it lifts you up and it gives you more capacity than you otherwise might have? How do you think people can find that if they've never experience the kind of training you have. Let's say there's a leader of a team, a partner, he's got a few associates, and they've got a very difficult deadline and a very difficult client. What advice would you give for that person to find that depth to be able to lead their team? Well, I would say say a couple of things. One, it's never too soon to start working on these things. And and it's it's very hard to build resilience when you're laying on the ground, right? I boxed in college and like, 
The second you get knocked down. What's that? What's that? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) You know, when you're on the ground, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to build yourself back up. And so the work that you do before being in that situation with a challenging client or, you know, a challenging circumstance, I think is, is invaluable. The second part is that I would say you have to start small, right? These aren't things that you tackle in one go. And it's not, you know, even SEAL training, I would say that in many ways, it's a forcing function for people to be able to cultivate and build really robust circuitry around these mental practices. But it is it takes a long period of time. And so when you can start small and recognize that, hey, and even in these small moments, there's a ton of value and we're starting to build habits that last and mindsets that will serve us very well when things are very challenging or maybe when we don't have uh, the opportunity to slow down, that that matters and it's worthwhile. So. That's great. That's great advice. What are some other mental tools, the other maps to mindset that you found helpful to people? Yeah, I think there is this this paradox of high performance and that it's actually rooted in very foundational low performance practices. So simple things like hydration and nutrition and rest and how you're using your breath and movement and how you're connected to not only other people, but you know, larger intentions and, and bigger missions and, and visions for what you hope to achieve. All of these things lay the bedrock and the foundation that allows you to perform at higher and higher levels. And so mm. it doesn't matter if you're an astronaut or you're a professional athlete or you know my friends that are in these fields that maybe are at the pinnacle of their fields will all say the very same thing. You can't overestimate and overstate how powerful the fundamentals are and making sure that you're, you have healthy practices around those. And then from that, uh, you just continue to build on top of those. And so maybe less a, a mindset trick and more just a, a recognition that these small things throughout your day add up some degree of effect. And when you can invest in those and recognize, look, that there isn't one way to do things. And I know Instagram influencers and what we get bombarded with on marketing would tell you otherwise that like, hey, here's the trick or here's the perfect morning routine or here's whatever. I throw all of that by the wayside and instead go to this. I think you you need to recognize that there is not one way to perform. There are some overarching principles of human performance, but part of the game is figuring out what works for you and having a mindset of testing, trying, refining, and then figuring out, you know, your own best path. So, and I've heard you talk about mindfulness also, what does that mean to you? And what would be some things you'd like for people to know about that? Yeah. So I think, I don't know that I have a unique definition of mindfulness, but what I would say is to me, when I think about being mindful, it's being present and aware of cause and effect. So understanding what is it that I do and the effect that it's having on me. And when you're able to cultivate a level of presence and being aware of what you're doing and how it's affecting you or what's going on in your environment and how that's affecting you, you start to have greater agency in your life. And that agency applies not only to your well-being, but to your relationships, to you know whatever challenge you may find yourself navigating, simply by taking opportunities to be more aware allows you to have more control. And what are some examples of that? How can we find ourselves to become more aware of certain things? Sure. You know, we have this very, very powerful and maybe the the most powerful internal tool that we have in our breath. And so everyone's familiar by now with, you know, meditation or yoga or, you know, all these different frameworks. But at the end of the day, it's this tool that you have that you can engage at any point in time. And by doing so, it affects your brain and your body react to that. And so if you want to 
calm your body, you can do so with your breath. If you want to energize your body, you can do so with your breath. And even that simple recognition that I have this tool and I can use it. And it, maybe it helps me transition before I go into a difficult meeting, or maybe it helps me leave work at work and walk through the front door of my house and be present for my, for my children and for my family. But again, just recognizing that I have this tool that I can use uh, at any point in time. And then I would say, so I have this, I have this company made for, we have a, a program that focuses a lot of these foundational habits and cultivating mindsets. But one of the first things that we help our members do is connect with the power of hydration. And part of the the science around hydration is focusing on or understanding how being properly hydrated actually improves performance. And that if you're have a low level of dehydration, even on the order of one to 2%, it actually impacts your physical and cognitive performance and your energy levels and, and so on and so forth. So part of that challenge is about hydration, but the other part of it is about what happens when you pay attention to a small thing that you're doing every day and creating some awareness of how that affects you. And so we have a whole method and process that we engage to, to get the most from that experience. But again, it could be hydration for you. It could be your breath. It could be your social connections. It could be your vision or your, your mission or intention. But again, trying to focus on a small thing and understand the effects that it has on you and then decide what right looks like for you and, and move in that direction, I think. So, so let me ask you this. And what Let's say we talk about breath. So can that can our breath be a line of demarcation between work is ending, rest is beginning? What are some examples of how we can use our breath? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Our so, lives? so our our lead advisor and now a world famous uh, neuroscientist, Dr. Andrew Huberman, one of the things that he likes to talk about is this this physiological sigh that if we do a double inhale, so we inhale, uh, take a full inhale, and then take another little inhale at the top, and then do a long, slow exhale, that that is the fastest way to calm the nervous system and to cultivate presence. So interesting. Yeah. So it's this really long exhale, and then you can feel it in your body and it works every single time. That's the cool thing about the breath is that it takes all subjectivity out of it. When you use this tool in, in a manner that, that where you're trying to drive your body towards every time it works. And so that double inhale followed by an exhale is a great way to leave work at work and walk into your, uh, you know, a new situation and be, and be ready to be present for it. So you could do it when you're going through a big inflection point, uh, changes in your life, you're going to work, you're going home, perhaps when you're stressed, you're about ready to make an important call or a presentation, things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. And then tell me a little bit more. You talked about hydration so that's just drinking water, right? Just staying hydrated. Anything else? Uh, any, anything else that we need to know about that? No. Again, this is an example where we get hit with messaging all the time. We, we have to drink eight bottles of water. We have to drink whatever the thing is. But the truth is hydration requirements are unique to the individual. So it doesn't, you know, age, weight, activity level, types of food you eat, where you live, whether you sleep with your mouth open or closed all impact your hydration requirements. And so what we walk our members through is this process of paying attention to how much water you're drinking and understanding the effects that it has so that you start to normalize around what right looks like for you. And it never surprises me, but it's always inspires me when you see the light bulb go off in someone's head and they're like, oh, wow, actually that afternoon headache that I had, it isn't caused by work or stress or whatever. I just needed a bottle of water or I didn't need no a kidding. coffee. I just needed a little bit more water. And now all of a sudden I'm taking less pills and I feel better and I have more energy. And again, when you start paying attention to this one small thing, the adjacent effects of that are very real. You start noticing, wow, I'm actually more attuned to the conversation that I'm having, or maybe I'm more attuned to how I'm 
positioning my body throughout the day or moving my body. It's just, um, there's some interesting knock-on effects that occur. That's interesting. So it can actually lead to other discoveries then. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me this then, Patrick, if people want to get started on implementing some of these ideas in their lives, what are, what are three action steps? If they wanted to go forward, step one, step two, step three, what would be some recommendations you'd have for them? Yeah, I would say thematically, there, there are really three things. One is it helps to have an intention of, of what is the thing that you're trying to affect, right? So we hear, we get bombarded all the time around, hey, try this, do this. Here's this good thing for you. We've all been in a, in a, a situation where we maybe tried a new New Year's resolution or you know we wanted to lose weight or we started some new diet, but those things never last. And so really taking an opportunity at the outset to do some reflection and some work around what is the thing that I hope to achieve and why does that matter to me? Why is it that, you know, why do I want to be more present or why do I want to have more energy or what's the thing that you're, that supports the effort that's going to be required for you to achieve the effect that you're after? So one is I think taking some time to set an intention for what it is that you hope to achieve and why that is inspired, that inspires you. The second part is to start very small. So don't try to go all in on something, whatever the new behavior is or the new habit you're trying to cultivate. Start small and recognize that these small steps, the small bouts of action that you engage have a some to great effect. And over time, they're going to create meaningful shifts, not only in your behaviors, but also in the mindset that you have. And so I always like to say, you know, one of the things that one of the reasons why we have a neuroscientist leading our advisory board and helped us build this program is because the brain is a great unit of analysis for what happens with the body and with the mind. And so if we can create lasting change in the brain and the way that our brains are wired, then by proxy, we can change our behaviors, we can change our mindset. And so starting small and having awareness around cause and effect of what you're doing and how it's affecting you is a really important part. And then the third piece I would say is be kind to yourself. And this probably sounds really soft coming from a Navy SEAL where oftentimes we're battered with messages that you need to be harder on yourself. But I would say it's the exact opposite. Like none of us are machines or robots. And at some point life gets a vote. We're all going to get knocked off course. And so recognizing that one, that intention that you set still matters to you and is important to you. And when you get knocked off course, you disengage, don't respond with more disengagement, but just respond Mm. with, Hey, I'm human. I'm trying. And when it feels right, Take the next small step to get back on course. Those, those are some great things. I think, yeah, really, really important. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you're you're absolutely right. I find that people think, oh, you got to be tough to do all these things that, that you've done, things that I've done. Obviously, not as tough as being a Navy SEAL. We steamed on the Chesapeake six knots with our hair on fire on a minesweeper, but it was uh, it was some pretty long days. And I found that everything that you're talking about, it, it absolutely helped me out. I appreciate you coming on here and sharing these ideas. And really, in your profession, going deep into what causes people to perform at a high level. And so tell us about the offerings that you and your colleagues have. What are the things that you do? What do you have that can help some of the people on the, that are listening to, to really grow in their own ability to perform at a high level? Yeah. Thank you, Scott. So as I said, I've been working on this company now. Um, my company is called Made4, M-A-D-E-F-O-R. You can find us online, getmade4.com. And you know what we do really and what we work to design again with Andrew Huberman and we brought in folks from the National Institute of Mental Health and Harvard Psychiatry and you know, and behavioral science and physiology, really trying to understand how did the brain and body work best and what are those things that we can do, the small ways that we can direct our attention and effort that if we do over a period of time, some to great effect. And our whole program is designed to help people 
unlock their full potential and really get into a place where they're able to cultivate habits and mindset that lay that foundation that I spoke of earlier and help them be successful regardless of the challenges they face or, or where they want to go. And so if you want to check us out, you can you can find us at getmadefor.com. And our offering right now is I'm really proud of the work the team has done to, to make our program accessible. We have a program that's $99 for a year-long program where Every month, we take you through one foundational habit. We give you the science and the story and a, a challenge designed around what's the smallest thing that we could get you to do where you would see the benefit and you would be incentivized to grow this practice as it's right for you. And by now, we've, we've served over 10,000 members uh, wow. to date and had some really great effects for people. So we've also we've been working with a lot of corporations and companies over these last uh, two years and excited to continue to serve that. We're finding now more than ever, employees are stressed, management and senior leaders are stressed and trying to figure out how to help people care for themselves and how to really take care of their employees. And we found that we've been a great complement in that process. So yeah, so in addition to all the information and the, the science and the, our advisors, we do, we do video calls with our members. We have a whole host of physical tools. One of the things that I like to say is that if I have to look at a, a device or an app or a screen or something outside myself to tell me how I'm feeling or performing, I've missed a critical first step. And that first step really is understanding what you can do in the real world and offline that creates benefit for you. So our program is very much designed uh, with that in mind of getting you offline and into action. So well, that's anyways. great. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing your expertise. And I'm going to put the links that you mentioned on the show notes. So everybody that's listening, you can just go to the show notes here and click on that and get more information about Patrick and his colleagues and their offerings. And thanks for being a great guest, Patrick. I'd love to have you back on the show in the future. It's been a blast, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.